Welcome back to today's edition of Fresh New Shorts, a collection of short stories written and read by the author. This series is following the collection of stories found in the book A Physicist's Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena by John Blackmore. In today's story, Creation Myths, an imaginative girl's stories about how the world began causes her school to question if something is wrong at home. There may well be, but it's not quite what the school thinks. Creation Myths There are so many rich legends of how our world began, Miss Pullum said, a titch of sadness lengthening her statement's shadow. Pam nodded agreement, though she could not remember when such thoughts about myths and legends had struck her. Principal's offices still made her anxious. The children were asked to create their own creation myths, did you read Rebecca's? Miss Pullum held a file folder in her hands. She was a confident woman. She had long piano player fingers, her voice the lush baritone of Maya Angelou. Was it homework or done in school? Pam asked. Some in school, some at home. She's not in trouble, it's just... The principal was distracted by the snow hill outside her window, swarming with children, pulling each other hauling one another down. Some parts of her essay gave us pause. We thought we should check in. Not that there's a problem. No, her writing is brilliant. She leaned in towards Pam, rewrapping her great golden scarf about her shoulders. But sometimes, children write or draw things they can't tell us. The statement hung like a smell. Miss Pullum continued to play with the file in front of her. What did she write? Principal Pullum started to slide the file towards Pam, but then pulled it back. Rebecca's myths required oration. In the beginning, God woke up, yawned, and scratched himself. He lit his first cigarette. He smoked it down and lit his second from the first. He threw the butt into the air, and so it went. Ash fell into black space. Smoke hung about in a milky haze. Half-burnt and still-burning butts scattered to become a thousand red-eyed beasts. This is what we think are stars. The ash became our worlds. The burning smoke became space. We are made of smoke, too, but not the same smoke. Many make that mistake. We are made from the smoke God sucked into his cavernous lungs and breathed out in streams and rings from his red lips, bearing the gifts of death and divinity. Divinity. Miss Pullum had enjoyed herself, a pleased smile upon her lips. I don't smoke. I've never smelt it on her. Pam could see this God's yellow-stained fingers and buttery teeth. The principal nodded. Her father smoked when he was in the field. They all do. I suppose he still does, Pam said, opening and closing the clasp on the purse in her lap. It's a wonderful story, so inventive, Miss Pullum said. As much as we make of this generation and their fragile self-esteem, I worry most for their creativity. Creativity. The video games, texting, the politics of us and them, she continued. 
Our culture demands a dumbing down, a failure to dream, a lack of nuance, a penalty for expressing yourself in any way that's outside the norm. She's a quiet girl, Pam said. She wrote other myths. The principal slid the folder across the desk. Pam opened it to Rebecca's right-leaning penmanship, a mix of cursive and printing. Read that one, Principal Pullum said. God lived with a man who was no good for her. They argued all the time. The more they argued, the bigger the emptiness of space became around them, and in this way they filled the universe with black, cold anger. Eventually their arguing became meaner, and they hit each other. They hit each other hard enough to see stars, and that's where they come from. They hit each other hard enough to make lips and noses bleed. That's what we are. Drops of blood from God and the man who is no good for her. The drops of blood from God are mostly good but sad. The drops of blood from the man are bad, but try so hard to be good. Eventually the man left, and God said he became the devil. God stayed in the empty space alone and watched her sad splatters of blood, and his too, and tried to get them to come together. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. Even though she had all the power in the universe, she couldn't make it happen. Redness was surging up Pam's throat to her chin. Rebecca's father never hit me, she said. I certainly never hit him. It was a long time ago. She paused, trying to figure out the years. He's a Marine, but we separated when Rebecca was still young, she said. I didn't know that about Rebecca's father. We're proud of our troops at Eastview, Miss Pullum smiled. Pam imagined the woman's vision of a square-jawed soldier framed in his navy blue uniform, the pictures you saw every other night on the television. She wouldn't know what Gabe really did. But then, neither did Pam. Mrs. Hicks, I'm not here to accuse you of anything. It's Miss Jenkins, actually. Hicks was, is Rebecca's father's name. Miss Jenkins, I'm not here to accuse you, but we're taught to spot warning signs. The flush rashed up and over Pam's neck like red ants. I felt you should know. I have a responsibility to check in. I am not bringing in authorities, the principal said. The threat appeared like a knife in the air. Authorities. Pam's throat was burning. I understand why you called me in, she finally managed, and I really appreciate your taking the time and showing an interest. I don't know why Rebecca wrote those things. I don't know why kids do what they do, why people do. Outside, she watched the colorful children battling and throwing each other from the top of the snow hill. Do you have any suggestions for how I should approach this? Pam asked. Principal seemed pleased that she was talking to a woman who had sense. Take her to a favorite place, somewhere she feels safe. Tell her about a dream that you had, and let her tell you about one of hers. Sometimes children will couch their truth in the language of dreams. Pam nodded. Ask her about dreams, Pam wrote down. Miss Pullum seemed to feel better. 
I don't pretend for one minute that you have an easy job, the principal said. We like to say it takes a village to raise children, but so many American families are all alone. A village, Pam repeated. If you could come back Thursday, Mrs. Whalen is free then, and we can talk together about the situation. Children filed into yellow school buses by size, the youngest first, then the older elementary children, cocky in their mastery of childhood skills. Next, the cacophony of boys with straggle hair under toques, punching and jangling about each other. And last, the languid lines of girls with long, thin hair, unkept by bows or barrettes, yoga bags with iron-on patches, skinny leg jeans tucked into unlaced boots. Rebecca was among them. Rebecca, tall and thin, nearly transparent, golden hair refracting the sun, her long green corduroy coat tight to her narrow column of reserve, her canvas satchel proudly against fashion. She was talking with that girl, Ginny? Ginny in her slouchy half-on, half-off board coat. Ginny with both parents, an Abercrombie everything and ski trips to Vermont. Pam sunk in the Chevy Cobalt she had rented for $17.79 a day. Her own bright green caravan with its driver's side dent parked at the Sears handy to the Hertz. It was a Darla idea. Darla from the community center when Rebecca was a toddler. Darla was a stand-up comedian, poking fun at the raw wounds of her life. She talked double volume to everyone in the playgroup, telling them about skulking around in rentals to see where her husband went to lunch, with whom, and where he went after. Demonstrating with a playschool screwdriver how she stabbed his tires outside a Super 8 motel. Pam wondered when we became satellites orbiting our children, rather than their centers of gravity. She moved the stiff gear shift into D, following the bus as it made its deliveries. Uniform bungalows bearing flags and yellow ribbons. Five-bedroom, ranch-style, three-car garages with at least one tank-sized SUV. Muted brown state housing apartments. Cheap mattresses and cracked couches with wood veneer. Night tables at the curb and drifting with snow. Their own road of duplexes. Pam parked down the street beside a pine tree that intruded upon the curb. Rebecca got off, waving to someone still on the bus. Who was that? Was it a boy? Rebecca walked towards home. She paused to look up at a neighbor's, the Reynolds. They had a girl Rebecca's age. She waited and then continued on to their duplex. She disappeared on the porch and was gone. Pam rolled down the street closer to the house to have a better view. She parked, waiting, turning on the car again for the heater because the windows were clouding over. She would wait to see if Rebecca went anywhere. Was this easier than just asking Rebecca why she wrote about a -a two-pack-a-day god? Was it easier to slink around than ask about dreams? But it really wasn't that kind of relationship. They weren't the painting your toenails together while talking about dreams, mother and daughter. Part of her thought they should be. It was just the two of them versus the world. They could have been more like sisters, BFFs, 
Pam and Rebecca saw people like that on television. Figments, she thought, like most good things were. She wanted to laugh at Principal Pullum and her advice about discussing dreams. Her own mother, of course not her real mother, fed and clothed her, but they didn't talk. There was a set to her lips that said words were not part of the deal. The contract was good grades and no trouble for food, clothes, and shelter. You found love where you will. She had felt it, random moments, slippery and flittery as fireflies. You knew someone cared enough that your pants weren't floods or you owned a coat that hadn't thinned through, and there's some money in your jeans to buy a Coke float if you went to the bowling alley with the other girls. Rebecca had fallen into Pam's ways. She projected a shield of caution about her. Snow appeared as a slight surprise and hung in the air. It seemed too tired to strike the ground, not having enough energy to even fall. Pam watched the loopy acrobatics and slow-moving onslaught. The radio played in the background. The way Naps sees you. She was dozing half in, half out, with the plaintive organ of whiter shade of pale. She saw the white deliveried van in her rearview mirror, hiding in the snow squall. Pam sat bolt upright, holding her hand out in front of her. Stop, she commanded, talking to the hidden driver through the rearview mirror. The truck seemed to be trying to brake, but that drove it further out of control. It was skidding now, all seasons likely. Foreign drivers. Stop, she shouted with authority. The fright caught in her throat, but no matter. The slow motion inevitability. She reached up to brace herself with the wheel. Punch! The airbag exploded like a roadside bomb. She lied about the origin of her black and blue face. Uh, Another car, a friend, going for butter chicken and pakoras at lunch. How airbags go off at the slightest provocation. Deep inside, a pit of worry calcified like a pearl. Someone from the neighborhood must have seen her. Maybe that Reynolds girl. Someone. Someone would say something. God, Mom, you should put ice on it. Should we go to Emerge? Rebecca said. Pam saw her face in the mirror, a purple island floating about her nose. She lay back on Gabe's recliner with a bag of frozen peas pressed to her face. Do you have homework tonight? I did it after school. What did you have? Some math. We're doing volumes and area. Pam nodded, crinkling the hard pebble peas in their stiff plastic. How's English? Don't you have that neat teacher? She was doing something with myths? I never talked about myths. I'm sure you did. Maybe I read it in the newsletter. I never brought home a newsletter. Pam's head throbbed. She didn't know if it was the frozen vegetables or the smack to her face. God, Rebecca, whatever, I'm wrong. So you're not doing bloody myths. I must have dreamed up the bloody myths. Pam tilted her head back. The peas sagged and seeped cold into the depths of her sinuses. On the television, she heard the double jeopardy categories included ancient Mesopotamia, Dalem for movies, and soap. Another moment passed. We are studying myths, Rebecca said. 
Pan felt a rush, a flood of meaning, but she didn't move. Myths, Pan repeated, as if confirming she heard correctly. Stories from ancient Egypt, the Norse, you know, like the Vikings, the Bible, stuff like that, Rebecca said. Tell me something then. I can't watch TV like this. Rebecca hesitated, but then told her about the Egyptian river and its floods, about the sun god who was a beetle. She told her about the Norse oak tree and a squirrel that climbed its branches. She even knew the strange names for the creatures, their homes, their gods. I never studied stories like that when I was in school, Pam said. We were always practical. This is practical, Rebecca said. As real as studying like the Founding Fathers. How sexist is that? I don't mean to say we were right. Pam kept her eyes underneath the frozen peas. Another moment. What is Midway? A contestant announced on the television. I guess they give you another way to look at the world, Pam winced, which hurt her nose even more than the cold. Another way to look at the world. God. Rebecca didn't reply. Do you, do you ever remember your dreams? Pam asked. That's random. A pause. I'm going to bed now, Rebecca said. What? I'm just going to bed. It's not a big deal. I'm tired. Do you need anything before I go? No. Pam listened to her daughter walk up the stairs, run water, flush toilets, and then the silence of her shut door. Pam guided herself into the kitchen and opened a tetra pack of Shiraz. She put the peas back in the freezer. Rebecca's yellow canvas bag lay on Pam's lap. The bag bore the sorrowful, homeless smell of wet cloth, damp paper, bread mold. It was an item the chain-smoking god might have had in his room. Rebecca had drawn peace signs and flowers all over the canvas with black sharpies. Dreams weren't a way through for Pam, so she was resorting to Gabe's tricks, espionage, black ops, ways just to find means, he used to say. Three flavors of lip balm, peppermint lifesavers, pens and highlighters, the pointy thing that held a pencil for geometry, exercise books curling at the edges. She was spelling her name Rebecca with a K as if they were Jewish. A hand-sized book with colorful Italian wallpaper on the cover. Rebecca had made ink pen sketches in it, mostly horses, a pair of white and black horses in a field. She was a good artist, a small delight for Pam. She hadn't known, but then the pang of realizing what else she didn't know. She looked at the pictures again. Should she tell the teachers about these? How would she admit that she went through Rebecca's bag? Perhaps that's what good parents did, spied and tailed, put cameras in their kids' rooms. There is no bottom to our insecurity. She carefully took a sip of wine from a juice glass. Why we had to mine clues from deep inside the people we love, Pam thought. Why it had to be so complex. Upstairs, she leaned over Rebecca, asleep in her little girl's bed. 
She slept the way her mind worked, still, neat, orderly. In the morning, you might not know she had even been in the bed at all. Her hair had drifted over her eyes, and this wisp of abandon bridged the years between the baby and this almost woman who had taken over her little girl's bed. She longed for the tiny Rebecca, for that time. Coming home from the hospital, Gabe forgot to attach the baby seat, for God's sake. But it was because they were so charged, everything was so charged, so filled with wonder. Back at the beginning, when none of them knew what was in store, she reached out to stroke the hair from Rebecca's face, but hesitated. Rebecca was a light sleeper, like her father had been. Pam watched her for a long time. Not once while she slept did Rebecca smile. Her eyes didn't move. She was still as glass. Pam wondered if she even did dream. Pam told herself she married Gabe because she was in love with him. She loved him because he had been so sure. He was right. Due to the sheer strength, he believed he was right. Her mother, but not her real mother, had been Catholic with a capital C. She had lectured Pam on the rote drills of the Baltimore Catechism, how in her day a misplaced comma could cost salvation or a strap. Pam never felt as right as Gabe, as sure as her mother. It seemed there was something missing in her knowledge or faith. Gabe wasn't Catholic or Presbyterian or Jewish. Gabriel was American, stars and stripes, apple pie. He had the ethics of comic book superheroes, the power to squash grayness and, like Jehovah, split the world cleanly into dark and light, with us or against. He quoted the Pledge of Allegiance, the Declaration, Common Sense, Rights of Man, the biographies of presidents. At first, as a skeptic, she thought he armed himself with these quotes to supplement his flak jacket, his helmet, his body armor, the way crusaders scraped crosses inside their plate mail. At first, she smiled and threatened to laugh when he flourished a Ben Franklin quote, but the certainty burning in his butane eyes scorched her, and in her weakness, she gave herself over to love and all that Gabe loved. And as long as she stayed close to that flame, all was right and warm at home and in this country and even in this whole wide world. Now, all that order and certainty was in rags around them. In Cosmic Bowl's black light, Rebecca transfigured like Jesus. Her white blouse and headband phosphorescing, her white smile lighting her face from within. Pam had picked her up after school, spiriting her way to Rock and Bowl. She liked the fact Rebecca was still at an age that didn't question everything. Pam's reason, simply shrugging, was enough. So they bowled. They drank root beer. They ate Doritos. Above the dozen lanes, a Saturn V neon rocket shot off every ten minutes or so. Spangled lights cut awake from right to left. A disco ball ignited swoops of stained glass. Bass beats pounded the alley's upper atmosphere like thunder.
Pam lingered over her pogo, dipping the corn batter into a splotch of radioactive mustard. Rebecca talked about a math class. Mr. Trelawney had made her a tutor because of her facility with the new language of algebra. It's an Arabic word, Rebecca told her. We have them to thank for algebra, too, she said. There was a space in the conversation when Pam could have moved the theme back to Mrs. Whalen and myths. But then, the rocket above the lanes lifted off and its light show glare sucked the moment from the air. Pam just watched the play of lights upon her daughter's pretty face. They slid out into the February darkness to their car. Near the alley's entrance, outside the no-smoking ten-foot radius marked by the confetti of butts, Pam saw a tall teen girl side on to her with her board coat open. Glints of silver, an array of safety pins pierced to her school-plaid skirt like fishing lures. Ginny? It looked like her. The Ginny from Rebecca's grade 7 class? Ginny who had her teeth being braced by Dr. McIntosh rather than Dr. Alhambra? The girl reached out her fey hand to a boy in a black hoodie with fatigue pants, and he passed her a cigarette that she placed between her lips, pausing, and then tossing her head back to spume smoke like a killer whale. Rebecca, oblivious to this, Pam ratcheted between this girl and her own daughter, connecting them with the fierce movements of her head. Rebecca switched on her iPhone and pulled songs from thin air. Is that Ginny? Pam finally had to ask. Rebecca, still holding the music in, unaware of her surroundings. Is that Ginny? Rebecca looked around. Pam was backing up. Over there. Rebecca swept around, giving up. Could be, I guess. She returned to her music. Pam wanted to push the issue, but in the rear mirror, she realized the girl was gone now. Just the boy, standing alone amidst the pockmarked snow. Pam was too tired to talk about dreams that night. They watched Iron Chef, the secret ingredient, anise. Pam had never eaten anise in her entire life, let alone in ten dishes built up on stop sign plates. That we lived in a world where people cooked anise. Rebecca imitated the host's flurry of Japanese. Pam laughed and Rebecca smiled along with her. Pam reached out and touched her arm. They sat together underneath an army surplus blanket Gabe had left. Pam had washed it at least five times, Gabe's smell as persistent as a fox. She wanted to tell Rebecca that she had to go into school tomorrow, that the principal suspected Pam was beating her daughter or feeding her smokes at night. Rebecca moved closer to her and leaned on Pam's arm. Her proximity and warmth still a satisfying flutter deep inside Pam's center. Mrs. Whalen was a horsey woman, but made beautiful by deep starburst laugh lines at the corner of her eyes. I'm sorry I'm late. There's a situation in the junior atrium. Some boy brought Red Bull and a Crunchy Bar for lunch. She rolled her eyes to heaven. You spoke with Principal Pullum on Monday, she said her eyes fixed on Pam's bruised face. I was in a fender bender. The airbag went off, Pam said. She laughed to indicate how crazy it was. 
Mrs. Whalen narrowed her eyes to assess the injury as if she was not just an elementary school teacher, but also CSI. I didn't share all of the myths with the principal, Mrs. Whalen said. I wanted to talk to you first. Mrs. Whalen slipped another file to Pam, indicating she should read it. In the beginning, God danced. She danced every minute of every day, spinning around and up, leaping through space that made way for her, dancing with the grace of absolute weightlessness, with the speed and force of a whirlwind. But then, one day, God tripped on a thing she had never seen, a man painted black who was hiding in the utter darkness. God fell down and down and broke her right leg. God screamed with the surprise, the pain, the despair that she might never dance again. She lay there a long time, and space, without her dancing, closed in tighter and tighter about her. Her leg did not get better. It got worse, turning red and swelling and burning. As God lay at the bottom of space, with a fever hotter than any star we have now, the painted black man came to her. I can save you, but you will not be able to dance again. You can choose whether dancing is more important than life. Pam looked up from the paper. The writing was furious, as if the dancing god was writing through her. She's been in ballet since she was eight. Mrs. Whalen nodded. She motioned for Pam to continue reading. God lay there in a delirious fever for a day, but then she called out to the painted black man and said she chose to let him save her. Are you sure? he asked. Are you absolutely sure? he asked again. She nodded. The painted black man brought out from behind him a huge and terrible blade and in one swooping strike cut God's leg off above the infection. And then in his other hand, brought out flame to burn and close the wound. God's screams echoed through the dancing space for thousands and billions of years. God hobbled away from the sight of the awful decision, leaving her leg with the painted black man. As her screams receded, the leg began to decay. God hopped as far from it as she could. But the painted black man drew nearer, Crawling from the dancer's leg, he saw tiny people in the shape and form of God and himself. He picked them up in his hand and wondered at them. He breathed on them and gave them souls. He brought his torch out and gave them fire. He found a splinter of his blade and gave them steel. He carried them away from the leg and set them loose in the universe. Eventually, God heard the noise they made. From a distance, she saw them. Some of them were dancing. God began to cry with the memory of dancing and anxiously hopped closer, but she couldn't keep her balance and threatened to fall, stumbling on her one leg. In her horror, she saw that she had crushed some of them under her one uncontrollable foot. She had to stay far away, to never be close enough to touch them for fear of crushing them again but their songs and dancing, and even their hate and killing, drew her on to marvel at them, 
even if she knew she would never hold him in her hand the way the painted black man seemed to be able to do whenever he wanted. Pam put the paper down. She was trying to control any shaking. She felt that she might cry for this one-legged god. Mrs. Hicks, I'm a little worried, Mrs. Whalen said. Pam was about to correct her, but let it slide. The dancing god's profound sadness overwhelmed matters as trivial as your name. It's the blade, Mrs. Whalen said. She let the word hang out there the way the principal had. Twelve and thirteen are difficult years. Anorexia, bulimia. I saw in her record that she had an eating issue in grade one. Pam rubbed her nose out of habit, wincing with the bruises. She felt her eyes getting wet. It was a couple of weeks. Her father had just left. She could hear the rise in her voice. They had put those weeks behind them. They didn't talk about them, and in many ways, Pam had figured they hadn't really even happened. She has so much, you know. Why in the world would she want to hurt herself, Pam said. They're fragile, so fragile at this age, Mrs. Whalen said. You may think they're secure and loved, but something... She waited. I understand Mr. Hicks is still not living at home. No, he's in Tecrete. He's been somewhere else for a long time, since before Rebecca was six. He doesn't factor into our lives much anymore. He's playing in Tecrete? In Turkey? Pam shook her head. I doubt he's playing. Tecrete's in Iraq. He's a soldier, military intelligence. I don't know what he really does. Nobody does, Pam said. I see things on the news, and I imagine him. I'm certain Rebecca said he was a musician. Our first unit was my family. He never played an instrument. I don't think I ever heard him sing outside of the anthem at baseball games. I'm sure she said he was in a band. It had a remarkable name. Crystal Death? Yes, that's it. Heavy metal or hair metal, she said. Pam stared at Mrs. Whelan for a moment, not understanding. She held her breath and then, realizing, blew it out. What do I do? You're a chemist, or you work with chemicals, Mrs. Whelan said. Pam thought for a moment and then nodded. Yes, she was a chemist. Of course. I work for a small company, she smiled. We might be bought by Dow. Mrs. Whalen seemed pleased again. The world was writing itself. I think Rebecca is in some kind of pain. We have counseling resources we can offer you, and, and here. Mrs. Whalen brought out a sheaf of brochures filled with pictures of caring mothers and fathers with teens in striped rugby shirts. The warning signs of anorexia. Your depressed teenager. Addiction happens. What are you going to do about it? Pam took the folder of pamphlets about the invisible beasts threatening her daughter. Keep a close eye on her, where she goes, who she's with, any changes in behavior. There's been none I can think of. She does the same things, sees the same people. Pam's voice drifted off. Do you know Ginny in her grade? I think we saw her this week at the bowling alley. 
I think she was smoking with some boy. Mrs. Whalen laughed. Ginny? I don't think so. She only wrote the one myth. God was a dolphin. She smiled affirmingly. Pam pictured Flipper with a cigarette sticking out of his smiling sawtooth mouth. Mrs. Hicks? Yes? Sometimes children, who can't tell us what they think, write things like this. Sometimes they also try to express these feelings as a retelling of dreams. Dreams. That's a good idea. Thank you very much. We talk about our dreams all the time. From the slush-soaked entrance of Miss Lorty's Dance Academy, Pam could see inside the dance class studio from a reflection off a mirrored door open at just the right angle. Rebecca would appear and vanish across the strip of looking glass, lean and precise, her leg thrusting out with confidence, a perfect jeté blurring by for scant seconds, an effortless glide across the floor, a deep bend and sweeping stretch towards the fluorescent lights above the room. The navy-suited girl streamed out of the studio, the way dancers skittered like stones skipping across water, not glumphing like most teenagers in sneakers with parched tongues hanging out. Rebecca remained in the studio. Shards of her came and went in the mirror. Pam watched, lost in the beauty of it. She walked up and stood in the doorway. Rebecca was oblivious to her. Rebecca dancing in her own universe. Pam pictured her in the darkness, scattering light the way her imagined God did. Surely this was Rebecca. This is so beautiful, Pam finally said, holding her wool hat in her hand, the closeness of the room and the sweat of at least three classes of girls weighing down the air. Rebecca continued to dance, the ripple of a smile on her little girl lips. Is this where the dancing god comes from? Rebecca stopped abruptly. The music, Tchaikovsky, continued to swirl about them. What are you talking about? Pam recognized she had just undone a bag of terrible secrets. What do you mean the dancing god? Rebecca demanded. I was speaking with Mrs. Whalen. Rebecca was now stamping with deliberate heaviness to her shabby bag in the corner of the room. She bent at the waist to pick up her things. She started towards the door at an angle to Pam, threatening like a missile whose aim was unsure. She showed me the myth, Pam said. Rebecca made it to the door and stopped, spinning abruptly. Not everything has an origin. Some things just are. Actually, most things just are. That's why most things suck. She spun around and clattered down the steps to the dressing room. She shut the door. The next class filed up the stairs and around Pam like water from a classical fountain. Oblivious to her, they pranced about the wooden floor and leapt impossibly high to the sky. The power failed at seven o'clock that night. A klaxon wailing as if old-school Russians had scrambled rusting bombers into the air. Profound darkness overtook the whole house to match their mood. Pam was washing dishes from frozen lasagna. Rebecca was studying in her room. Mom! Rebecca called out. Pam fundled in the crap drawer with its twist ties, soy sauce packets, keys that opened nothing, and in theory, a flashlight. 
it offered a feeble beam. I'm coming, Pam said, guiding herself to the stairs. Rebecca was at the top, wearing her white hoodie like a ghost. Come downstairs. We'll get candles. She found three boxes of birthday candles and one large numeral seven candle, used once, she guessed, six years ago. Pam took the Christmas cheese ball from the fridge and stuck the seven in it, flanked by two skinny spiral candles. She lit them. Pam took the flashlight and came down with a sweater. They sat across from each other at the kitchen table, the cheese ball lighting their faces. Let me tell you about my dreams. Pam felt the words roll inside her mouth. Rebecca picked at the slivered almonds, coating the orange ball. She flicked them off, one by one. Did you know that there were three of us, Pam said? Three what? You knew Grandma wasn't my real mother, that she adopted me. We were three girls in foster care. You have sisters? Rebecca leaned into the table. Pam smiled at her daughter. She recognized her cheeks, the curve of her eyes in her daughter. Their connection, their creation, was obvious. We had a foster family after my real mother left. The foster mother gave us new names. I don't know why, but she did. I don't know why they even let her. I was Pam. The youngest was Winnie. I've tried and tried, but I can't remember the middle ones. You know how you can't tell if you remember something or if you've made it up? In my head, her name is Pledge. Rebecca snorted, Pledge. She was smiling with the silly name, but her eyes suddenly opened wide in the birthday candlelight. Oh my God, Winnie? Like Windex? It's what I thought. Oh my God, so your name really does come from Pam, that totally earth-killing spray? I don't think of it that way. It's not like you knew any better in those days, that you were killing the world. Oh my God. Rebecca sat with a stiff back in her chair. This story had the power to knock the breath from her. What happened to your real mother? There were stories like, like our father was drafted, that he didn't want to go. He wanted to be a rock star. Pam laughed as if smiling with some memory. He was killed in Vietnam. They never found his body. And my mother, well, she just lost it. I mean, she totally lost it. She couldn't hold it together, even though the three of us depended on her. She just vanished one day. What do you mean she vanished? I was told later that she moved to San Francisco. She just left the house with you in it? I don't know what happened exactly on that day. Sometimes I try to remember, but... Pam poked her fingers into the cheese ball. Nothing. She went out to where all the hippies were. Probably. Oh my God. So I have two aunts? They split us up. I'm not sure if the other two went with one family or not. I bet you could find them. There are places on the web for that. I bet if you Google their names or adoptions, it's okay. Sometimes I think about it, but I'm good now with not knowing more about where I came from. Rebecca wanted to say something. She believed there had to be an answer, 
There was always a reason, wasn't there? But she paused. Do you know I googled Pam? Pam stands for product of Arthur Meyerhoff. He was the inventor. P-A-M. Isn't that rich? Your name isn't even a real name. It's an acronym. I thought it meant sweet, like Pamela. Not if it comes from a kitchen product. It means sprayable edible oil. Why didn't Grandmom change your name again? I mean, God, Pam. She wasn't one to change things. Pam, Pledge, Windex. Your mother, my real grandmother, out in California. My granddad, killed tragically in Vietnam. Rebecca drooped the wan flashlight. In the candles, her face was older. The light deepened shadows, accentuated lines. Pam could imagine her as an older woman, a mother herself, passing these legends on to another child by candlelight. Rebecca started to cry. Pam moved around the table to hug her. You can try to find them. You can, you know. I saw that on a blog, Rebecca said. I did try, but, Pam said, there's a fire and the records. Rebecca stared at her, thinking, figuring, scheming. There was an answer for everything. There had to be. It's just so tragic. Why you'd have to be split apart. Why he had to die. Why everything... Shh, Pam said. There's a lot of sadness in the world, Rebecca said. There is, Pam said. Too much, Rebecca said. Pam nodded. I suppose he'll be killed over there. I know you hate him. I don't hate him. Pam could feel her hardening again. I do. Don't. They watched the candle spill wax over the cheese ball. Let me tell you about the day you were born. Pam pulled out the run-down skinny candles and inserted two new ones. She closed her eyes for a moment and reimagined that morning. The sun had come in the hospital room moments before Rebecca was born. Gay pointed to a cardinal in the white birch outside, a pin-pricked dot of blood in the unblemished blue sky. Rebecca listened to her mother. Together, they forged the story true. It was so beautiful that even when the power returned, the electrons stalled in the copper wire, waiting, waiting for Pam to finish before entering the house. The lights stayed off, a pocket of darkness cupped in the hands of an overlit, anxious world. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, rate us five stars wherever your podcasts are available and subscribe for more. You can find the ebook, A Physicist Guide to Love, on Amazon. Come back and give us a listen again.